Hey, Rockheads. This is Music to Code by Track 12. Check this out. Oh yeah, just what you need to get in the zone when you write code. And get this, we just added a site license. Download it once, share it with everybody in your office. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. Net Rocks, episode 1291, with guest Scott Hunter. Recorded Friday, April 29th, 2016. Hey, guess what? It's .NET Rocks one more time. Richard Campbell and Carl Franklin here. Hey, Richard. Hey, buddy. What's happening in your world since uh, an hour ago when we just did recorded the last show. <laughs> now you're really messing with the time-shifting reality of it's all so these things. It's so much fun, though. Yeah, it's, it is fun. But, yeah. Uh, we're still in Orlando. Yep. This is the last show of the day. Yep. And uh, Scott Hunter is here. We're going to be talking all sorts of .NET goodness. I bet we will. Yeah. yeah. I didn't expect to do that many shows here. You know, it's, yeah. that's not the priority because there's so much to do at a dev intersection for me. But we got such great folks here. Yep. And sometimes it's time to do a recording. You so. can't ignore it. So, anyway, uh, let's just get going. So, better no framework. Awesome. All right, man, what do you got? Well, you heard me talk about Poly uh, many times. You even did a talk on it at the conference. I did a talk on Poly. Yeah. yeah. Poly is a, uh open source project that was taken over by my company, App Vnext. And we're the shepherds of it. We Nobody owns it because it's not, you know, it's a it's free, open it's open yeah. source project, right? And what it does is it lets you create declarative retry policies mm -hmm. in a fluent manner. So, you can essentially say, I want to create a policy that retries something if it fails maybe three times and each time increase the timeout in between. And if it fails for three times, then break the circuit. Don't allow any more calls to go through because something's obviously wrong wait for 10 seconds, do a test. If that one doesn't work, we'll keep the circuit broken. And if it does work, we'll go back to normal. So, it's a way to basically sort of add a little bit more to exception handling. It it's says, a little more policy-based. Well, yeah, because these transient errors happen in the in this new cloud world. Right. Uh, five nines of, real, of reliability was a was a Microsoft thing in the in the nineties or the early two thousands, but that's for on prem. The, yeah, the internet's not reliable enough for five nines. No, the internet. Once you once you put the internet in there, you're going to have downtime. So, uh, it, it's a great project. Well, that's actually not what I'm talking about. I'm okay. I just wanted to set the context. Yes. S apparently, somebody's ported it to Node. What? Yeah. Poly.js. So if you go to twelve ninety one dot Pwop.me, that takes you to a GitHub project where somebody is making a, a, a poly for Node.js. And I think that's really, really cool. And during this talk, by the way, which gets to what we're talking about, Scott, uh, during this talk that I did on poly at Dev Intersection, somebody afterwards said to me, uh, yeah, I got a suggestion create more clients so that it can go on any client. And I said, well, let's see. It's PCL C-sharp right now. And that goes to iOS and Android and Mac and Linux and in every flavor of Windows. What's left? BlackBerry? <laughs> yes. where, where doesn't it go? Where doesn't it go? So, you know, this is... And this is what you know, Scott's grinning from ear to ear now. This is this will start our conversation off really, really great. By the way, the the person who did the Poly JS, that's Maurice de Beers. Oh, no kidding! Yeah, yeah, the the, the Dutch guy. We've worked with him before. Yeah, sure, of course. I was just looking at doing a show with him. All wow, things, I so. didn't even know that. And, that's and I didn't even know about Poly JS until somebody brought it up in the in the talk that I did. No kidding. Yep, yep. 
Obviously, Maurice has been busy. That's cool. I'll include a link to it. So very, can, very cool. Check them both out. Awesome. So that's what I got. And uh, who's talking to us, Mr. Campbell? Grabbed a comment off of show 1021, the show we did with Scott back in uh, August of 2014. We were talking about the evolution of ASP.NET web development because this was the early days. This is before mm. the whole open source thing had even been revealed. ASP.NET yeah. 5. Yeah. We were yeah. Talking, it, it certainly was 5. And yeah, the, all of that stuff would come, would be announced later that year. So this was part of a number of shows we did that I think were kind of preambles to what was coming. <laughs> uh, which you I, know, I think we thought it was going to ship by now, though. So <laughs> <laughs> if I go back and look at that, I, I'm pretty sure that I thought I was going to ship by the end of that year. It'll all be fine. Everything be done. It's just so much code, right? Like, it's a huge job. No question about it. But uh, so... You know, two years ago, Jonathan Gallier did this comment. He said, uh, great show, guys. You're talking about tag helpers, because we talked about MVC. Mm. Reminded me that the only part of MVC that consistently leaves me pulling my hair out <laughs> is when I need a grid with inline editing yeah. so that users can deal with a bunch of records in one place. Yeah. I mean, it's a really a tricky problem. Right? It is. You know, yeah. Deep down. But well, then, more to the point, we've been spoiled by web forms. Exa that's exactly what he says. Because in web forms, by contrast, it's a simple matter to drag a grid control into place and wire it up. Even WPF is more straightforward than ASP.NET Any chance for that story of doing grids to be improved? It would be nice not to have to wrestle with third-party libraries when trying to get a simple, editable table up and running. Huh. A simple editable table yeah it's yeah. like dude <laughs> that's just a lot of code right the fact that yeah. web forms wrote it all for you doesn't mean it was simple go go view source like there right. was a lot of stuff involved and by the way my friend carl franklin commented on this two years ago said have you checked out kendo ui right because they've got a really slick lightweight grid they do and it's all javascript right 100 percent. Yeah. yeah so that was that was pretty awesome but you know it's just interesting thinking about Coming from, because I think a big topic when we were doing that show back in August of 2014 was this, this was still getting people to the idea that system.web was the first attempt really at mm. doing web stuff in the mm. .NET space and, and it was going to move away and that, you know, WebForce wouldn't be carried forward. And here was, I would argue, one of the most salient arguments. Like, you know what I did really well in WebForms? So how am I going to do this in MVC? Well, well, people, you know, that drag and drop experience was very visual basic-like and all the VB programmers of the world just went to the web development that way. And wildly productive. Wildly you got productive. it done. People ask for the very hard thing of, I want a, t a table with many rows showing and just let me edit them just not scalable number one yeah and number two not really good on mobile devices well people only care about their problem right <laughs> <laughs> also really hard to change the markup inside of a, a cell as well oh, oh yeah, yeah forget it yeah um, forget it. hard giving hard problems you yep. give up so much control. And uh, Jonathan, maybe a tough one to pull on you that two years later I'm bringing up this comment. <laughs> so, But I'll make it all up to you by sending you a .NET Rocks mug. Absolutely. So thanks so much for that. And I hope to hear from you. Tell me what you're doing for your, your grid problem now. Yeah. And a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. Because if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And you can definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. We decorate our bathrooms with him. And Scott Hunter is here. Of course, he is well-known as an ASP.NET guy, one of the lesser Scots. I think Scott Hanselman put himself in that category because the uber Scott is Scott Guthrie, but he was your boss for a while. Now, Scott Hunter is Director of Program Management for the .NET Platform. Wow. Which is, you're the guy, man. Yeah. So, all of the .NET? Yeah. So, I mean, that used to be the .NET framework, which is a big thing. And I guess, does ASP.NET fall in that category? Yeah. So, so what really happened was, um, unbeknownst to a lot of folks, is in 2010, there was one .NET team. And right. ASP.NET was part of that team. Mm. And the .NET framework team was there. And the CLR. We were all together as one big happy family. Languages, too? Uh, languages, all of it. Yeah. And, yeah. and what happened was, the cloud came out. Right. Mm. And when the cloud came out, uh, Scott Guthrie moved from being the person running the .NET platform in the developer division to switching out and running uh, part of Azure. Right. Mm. And when We he did, certainly noticed because sure. Azure suddenly became awesome. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, right. <laughs> trust me, we noticed as well. I remember the first day this happened because what, what happened was they took us, um, basically Scott took any web stuff with him as he left. Oh, right. yeah. He's like, anything web... 
it's coming with me because I needed to do this cloud thing. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember sitting with my team in a room and I'm like, okay, we're going to install Azure. Yeah. And build our first app. Right. And I, I, I swear it was at least an hour and 25 minutes from downloading the SDK to publishing our first application and having it running in Azure. Wow. Sure. Um, compared to today <laughs> when you can just install Visual Studio, say file new, check a box. And it's Azure. And, and you'll be in the cloud and the, the whole process might take, I don't know, 30, 40 seconds. That's great. So we, we interviewed Scott Guthrie at NDC right after all of that had happened. Mm-hmm. And he told us a story. And I don't know if it was necessarily on the show. Um, it was maybe part of the pre-discussion where he took all of his senior Azure execs, stuck them in hotel rooms in pairs, in teams of two, with like a $100 MasterCard. Did. And said, you can't use any of your own accounts. Yep. You can't do anything. Right. Be a regular mortal. Go make something work in Azure. That might have been over a scotch, actually. It might have been over a drink. Oh, maybe we said that on the show. Yeah. I but it, but it's just a such story. a great story yeah. of when you don't have all your secret sauce stuff. Right. Because even we are a victim of that, sure. right? We've got our MSDN accounts and all that sort of thing. Yeah. That's just a, how does a regular person make this happen? Right. It, it was better than that. The people that, so it is a true story. It yeah. Did, that did happen. Um, and there was, I think, I think he broke them into five teams and four of the teams succeeded. One team did not succeed. Wow. Um, but everybody that was there was a stakeholder in Azure. Mm. Right. So if it was the people that wrote the login system for Passport or MS or Live or whatever, whatever it was, was at, that at, that, at, that, at that time, um, they were there. Everybody that was a stakeholder was there. Great. And they got to see everybody's dirty laundry kind of aired at the same time right. in front of the room. Brilliant. Um, and all it was was sign up. Build your first app and publish it. That was the that was the entire thing. Right. right. And it was there's really funny stories that came out of that. My my, sure. fa- my favorite story out of that was, um, and I don't know if they ever hit you guys, but as you're prompting to sign into live.com, which is what Microsoft accounts are used, you know, throughout the system. Right. That was built for a variety of things. It was yes. built for mm-hmm. obviously Azure's using it. Xbox. Um, MSDN uses it, yeah. Xbox yeah. uses it. Uh, but some of the things that used it are like uh, the family security stuff for your kids and right, stuff like that. Right. Um, and I remember one table actually went through the that process and a- somebody actually clicked that they had kids. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. or, or, or they got their age wrong, I think. Yeah, so yeah, the, under the, 13. The, so it treated them as a child. Right. Yeah. And then so as they got to the end of the process, it said, okay, you have to have your parent verify your account. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because there's a rule, the COPPA law. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. And, and there was no system due to the checkboxes somebody had done when they set up the live account stuff for Azure. Nobody had checked the thing that uh, actually allows a parent to be able to, to validate. Right. Uh, and so that team was stuck at that point. You're done. They you're were done. done. Yeah. Yeah. You like, okay, over. we were underage and we need a par- parental approval and that feature is not built into the login process for Azure. And so we're done. We're, yeah, we're and over. So, so you asked yourself the question, why was it asking your age? Yes. Right. Could you imagine signing into Azure and saying, ah, how old are you? When were you born? Right. And right. you just ignored it and said it's something. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Easy to do. Um, but it was funny because it, it got all the stakeholders in the room and they got to see assembled by committee. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what happened with assembled by committee when nobody was actually looking at the overall process in right. the end. And that's really where Scott made, made his big mark there is um, I think at the time there was like five SDKs and, you know, right. you go to the page and it's like, oh, which SDK do you need? I don't, I don't yeah. know. So we went down. I to just one, got here. We went to one SDK. We built the tooling into Visual Studio. We cleaned up all the login stuff. You know, yeah. and a lot of other things happened as well. Yeah. And uh, those four that teams that actually were able to do it, where you you got to watch them go through the process and find where the pain points were. Of course. Yeah. And, and still, even if they finished it, as I said, it, it, I did a similar exercise with my team. It took an hour and a half to. To, to get through that process. So it was not a trivial process to go through. Um, so even if you did succeed, it was like, okay, stopwatch. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is not good. Yeah, this is hard. It's way harder spent. than it needs um, to be. But fast forward six years, I mean, Azure is amazing. There's so much stuff going on in right. there. And suddenly, I mean, is this a title that Scott wants hell? Like this new... I don't think it was the same kind of title because he he was engineering and PM right. and probably marketing. It was the <laughs> yeah. whole enchilada. Well, you, you're all. saying like the, that .NET used to be all one thing, then all the web stuff went over to Azure. So what's happened now? Yeah, so um, in December-ish, January-ish, um, first off, the, the developer division team and, and my team had been talking for years about, hey, if the right things happen, can we put the teams back together? Right. 
and the right kind of things happened at Microsoft to let us put the teams back together. And so mm. we decided to go put the teams back together. Okay. Um, and put all of .NET back into one team again. So the, so the, the ASP.NET, the, yeah, so, the web so we, stuff. So we took ASP.NET, um, came from my old team. We moved it back into the developer division. Mm-hmm. Um, as part of the ASP.NET team, one of the things that we had built over the time, to- over time was a, there was a team called Visual Web Developer. Right. That's the team right. that builds the HTML, CSS, project systems, a lot of stuff around .NET for web. Yeah. Um, we brought them with us as well. And mm-hmm. so they're part of the, the .NET team, overall .NET team. That's, I consider that to be .NET tooling as far as I'm concerned. Right. So, uh, they came with us. Uh, the NuGet team, Came to, mm. and the NuGet team actually uh, is now under Amanda Silver. Oh, right. Because mm-hmm. um, we actually made it, we, we consider NuGet to be a platform thing, right. yeah. not just a ASP.NET thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the VS platform owns that. Uh, we also took the, um, our team over in, in Applat actually had uh, the Azure SDKs as well. And so we brought that team over, and there was an Azure tooling team inside of DevDiv. So we merged those teams back together again as well. So a lot of things that were spread all over the place uh, are now back together where they should be. Nice. And so, you, and but you own .NET across the board. Now. Yeah, I'm the .NET guy. So, boy, there's a lot of stuff that's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and I made a lot of it too. So, <laughs> yeah. well, and you're also taking on a really tough problem because you're trying to make all this stuff run on other operating systems when yeah. it was originally built to run on Windows. Boy, that was the day, wasn't it? A build when Guthrie dropped that bomb about Xamarin being free. And how long did the actually the Xamarin last? thing was the final piece of the .NET puzzle to me? So sure. If you, if you looked at, you know, we had we had just done Crossplat, we had the ASP.NET that, with the high performance, but really the only thing you really couldn't build with .NET in a in a good way was, I mean, you 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 could build Windows Phone applications, but you couldn't build an Android or iOS application. So right. the, the final missing piece was how do I build iOS and Android uh, applications with .NET? Xamarin had a great product out there doing it. But it wasn't ours, and it cost a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and so, as Carl said, I, I, um, I've never seen a standing ovation at a build conference before. Nope. Yeah. And they got a the huge crowd standing wide. ovation. It lasted a couple minutes. <laughs> and it was it was a couple minutes, and I I was laughing because um, as a Microsoft employee, I'm not supposed to be in the room because we're supposed to let attendees be there. Right. And so I'm watching from my hotel room, and I'm watching Scott. Guthrie. He was startled. Yeah. He was startled. He was like he was like. Wow, I, I really like all this applause. I mean, he, but you can see he was, I think it even shocked him. It looked, yeah. it looked to me like he looked naturally shocked on the stage yeah, that he, it was, the reaction was as hardcore as it was. And, and they, they kept coming because they first it was Xamarin. Uh, we, we bought Xamarin. Then it was, it's going to be free as right. part of your subscriptions all the way down to community. And then yeah. we open sourced mono and changed the license to a clean license. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we took the Xamarin uh, SDK bits. We open sourced those as well. Oh, and by I mean, the way, iOS emulator and Visual Studio. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, so it was just, it, it, that announcement was just amazing to see one thing after another thing, after yeah. another thing, after another thing. Uh, pop in that in that keynote, and as great. a .NET guy, I you know I can't be happier oh, yeah. uh, for that for us to have that product and to be able to give it to our customers, and even better to to work with Miguel and and Nat, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who are two awesome guys, two sharp sharp people that were really pushing the edge of of .NET in an area that you know we weren't focusing in for sure. There's something that you mentioned there that I don't want to I don't want to gloss over, which is performance. Last time we talked about performance with anyone on the ASP.NET team was Damian. Edwards. Right. And uh, he was talking, and this is at the MVP summit. He was saying how, yeah, we needed to get performance going because we're, we're still not as fast as Node. You know, right. I think it was Node or maybe it was a job. No, it was a Java based. The, 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 the one that we actually, yeah, I was going to say, we actually, by that, by that time, we were actually ahead of Node um, right. by, by a pretty good margin, I think. Uh, the one that we still are, have on our targets uh, and we kind of paused the performance work. I just want to be very honest people. Okay. We got the performance to a really good place where we were just sitting behind Netty. Netty, that's uh, it. And Netty is a Java based uh, web framework. Right. Um, we we're just, just sitting below it. Um, but we paused all that work because we're trying to RTM. But what he was saying was they weren't, they weren't close back then. Eh? No, know? we're, yeah. we're a lot closer now than, than when you guys talked. It, right. was, a, it was a huge gap right. uh, when you guys talked. And he narrowed, he, he, he created a lab? What, what happened there? Yeah, so uh, the, the real backstory on this whole thing was uh, if Scott Guthrie gets people emailing about ASP.NET, it typically gets forwarded to me at some point. Yeah. Right. Um, and I'll either answer it myself or give it to somebody else on the team. And I have customers that write me as well if they, if they know me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had gotten a rash of customers that said, 
hey, we went to this Tech Empower benchmark site and we saw the, where .NET was. Right. And we saw where these other tech, technologies are and why, why should we be using your stack? Right. Now, first off, that, that, that test was really bad yeah. because the version of ASP.NET that was running in that benchmark was running on Mono. Oh. oh, and Mono, as even Miguel Miguel would tell you, would tell you Mono has, was opt- is optimized for client. Right, right. it's not optimized for server. Yeah, um, and so our number was ridiculous. I think it was like ten thousand requests a second. Oh, um, and Node was up there at the time, probably about two hundred forty five thousand requests a second. Yeah, so we yeah. looked like we were uh, nowhere there. But but this, it came up a couple of times, and, and it kept coming up, and I I brought it up every time it came up, and then finally one day Damien goes, hey, I'm going to build a perf lab and we can start taking a look at this thing. Yeah. And so he asked me for the money and I'm like, hey, you just tell me what you need and we'll, we'll get the hardware for you because they needed 10 gig NICs and, and other stuff. So they didn't, in the, fir- the first time we started running it, we just saturated the network instantaneously. Yeah. <laughs> so you need to have a pretty beefy network to do that. And, sure. And then it just kind of became a, a thing that, that uh, in the team room, you know, you would see people huddled around the benchmark and I'd hear, hey, we got another 10,000 or we got another 50,000 or we got another 70,000. Um, Ben Adams, uh, who you would have seen in the build keynote as well, um, with the Age of Ascent game. Yeah. Um, he was super funny because he, um, he was actually building his own .NET web platform Mm. at this time, um, when all this happened. And we started doing Kestrel, which is the web server that we were building on top of LibUV, which is the IO library for Node, uh, that Node.js uses as well. Right. Sure. And he started seeing our work and he's like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to park my thing. And I'm going to help you guys because your thing, your new thing, your, your, the ASP.NET 5 at the time, yeah. lets me turn enough ASP.NET off yeah. that you can actually do the workloads that I would actually want to do and the work you're doing with the server. I think I could come help you. Great. And, and, and he was super funny because he, was, he would only make a, a, a pull request when it was a, an order of magnitude of node. Huh. So he would say, hey, I, if, I, if I can get two nodes, um, <laughs> then, I'll, then I'll do a PR. But I'm not doing a PR unless I can at least get a node in that. So it, at the time, which was a, a, couple, a couple hundred thousand requests a second. <laughs> awesome. Um, but it became this thing in the team room where, where people just kept piling in and, and uh, it became important. Um, and then as we started showing, putting the numbers out there, it, it, the, the response uh, was crazy. And, and the, the pinnacle of all the responses was... Um, Maybe we had just done the Connect event, um, which was in November, mm. and Satya got an email from somebody in the Valley, mm. um, which we ended up seeing at some point. And, and the person was basically saying, hey, I just want to let you know that non-Microsoft and non.NET people down here are actually looking at the numbers and some of your, one of your teams is doing, and we find them super exciting. Great. Um, and he said, there's, there's actually chatter on Slack channels and stuff you know, from people that would not be even thinking or talking about us. Right. Wow. Um, what are the numbers? Do you have them off the top of your head? Um, there's two, two slices of the numbers today. If you go to github.com slash ASP.NET slash benchmarks, okay. um, that is the results from Damien's labs. Right. Um, that doesn't map 100% with the Tech Empower site because we're running on, even though we bought good hardware, it's not nearly as good as their hardware. Mm. And those numbers are, are about 1.1 million, I think, right now, uh, request a second. Wow. And we have PRs in the system that we are pretty sure will get us to 1.6. Um, but if I flip, we have we now have a secondary perf lab. This is the same perf lab that we we run all all of our .NET stuff through. Yeah. The, and this is before we ship something. This is the lab that stress tests ASP.NET for hours upon hours. I mean, at some point, you know, right. so we run some of these benchmarks or stress tests. We run for seven to fourteen days. Yeah. Um, seeing if we're getting failures or uh, stuff goes on. That's that's one of the cool things about being a Microsoft tech is we actually have teams that actually go and run this stuff. In a lab for yeah. t- 24, seven days, 14 days, and see what happens. But they have uh, mimicked uh, the hardware at Tech Empower. Hmm. Um, and I think they're around 3.1. Wow. Um, on that hardware. And, Dude. Man, that's fast. Wow. Um, in, in record time, too. Like, yeah, you the guys whole, just it, recently did that. It came, it came to play probably over a six to nine month time yeah. frame. And we're not done. We, we uh, as I said, we're a little bit below Netty. And that yeah. really is the goal for us to get, we want to be above, uh, the way we look at it is there are some benchmarks in the tech and power thing that are a little crazy, meaning mm. they're, they're web frameworks that you would not want to use. For example, um, who, who's written HTML instead of C++? Right. Mm. Um, I wouldn't recommend <laughs> that. I mean, but. HTTP, you mean? 
no HTML. The, yeah. the, the framework lets you do both HTTP and HTML, so you can actually write web pages in, in C++. C++. Oh, good lord! Um, <laughs> not something. Not something I would recommend or do. I'm not excited about that. Um, but uh, ouch! I'm still thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the cool thing, as soon as we RTM. Um, they will actually, you will start seeing our numbers show up inside the tech and power site as well. Mm, nice. Um, so they don't let you, they don't, they don't put beta stacks in there. And so mm-hmm. until we, until we rip off the bandaid and, and actually call this thing an RTM, um, I'm looking forward to that because then, uh, you'll see it live up there with all the other web frameworks. Interesting. So all of a sudden C sharp becomes really, uh, useful for, just a wide variety of, uh, of, of applications that it didn't have access to before. And people are hitching their wagons to it now, not just because of the perf, but because of where it goes, because it's all open source. It's not, uh, it's not tied to Windows. Yeah, we, we kind of, maybe this was about two years ago, we started asking ourselves, what are the reasons that somebody would not run .NET? And, you know, one of the things that comes up is uh, it's closed source, it's mm. proprietary, mm-hmm. it's Microsoft. Um, mm-hmm. And we just started saying, hey, let's start peeling off each of these Band-Aids. And right. so, um, you know, we, we had been open sourcing pieces of .NET, the ASP.NET team, uh, the Roslyn compilers uh, that, let, that do, you mm-hmm. know, C-sharp and, and VB. Um, but we hadn't done the whole enchilada. Um, and, and so we decided that, you know, let's open source the entire platform end to end. And the more important one was, uh, let's make sure that .NET runs everywhere. Mm. Um, and the big thing that we had seen at the time was there was this growth of popularity in Docker. Right. And, you know, people want to go build Dockerized applications um, because you can actually stand up new Docker images pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and it gives you a great way to actually build something and test it on the exact same platform you're going to run it on. So yeah, I mean, stuff will run in your, on your dev machine, and then you can easily push it up to a test or a production platform. But, but they're the same, you know, your, the Docker file you're using is exactly the same, yes. which means the, the way the machine's built is, is exactly the same. And which so, is very cool. Um, and we had seen some loss in .NET to that. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to go make ASP.NET run in all those places. I never wanted to have anything that Java could beat me on, which was being open source um, or being cross-platform. Right. We just wanted to go kill those things and say, you know, we're done. We now can do, now we there's can do no excuse or no reason not to use .NET. And we, we even plan to take it beyond that. Um, you know, as Carl was saying, you can build stuff for other OSs. I want to take that a step further, and, and we showed this at, at, at Connect last year a little bit. But you know, one of the things we want to build on top of the .NET Core work we're doing is being able to build native apps. Yeah, um, what's and, that all about? And so the, the idea there is we already have a native pipeline. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you build a UWP application, a Universal Windows uh, project today, right? That's an app that you build, um, and it can run on a Windows phone, it can run on a Windows tablet, it can run on a Windows desktop mm. uh, with Windows ten. Um, those are actually native apps today. Right. Um, so there's a native tool chain that builds those things. By native, you mean no CLR? Uh, we compile the CLR in is the best way to describe okay. that. Okay. Um, so we, so it doesn't require a, a runtime. The runtime is actually compiled into the actual application. So great. So the idea is when you run one of these applications on your UWP device, your Windows desktop, your phone, your tablet, um, the app's going to start faster because it doesn't have to actually go boot up a runtime as right. part of its, its There's no jitting so, going on. There's so no jitting going on. So you're essentially linking in all the assemblies and all the low-level stuff and the native stuff, the bootstrapper and all of that is, just, yeah. Just put right in, inside the application. So that UWP did this, you know, back in the Windows 10 uh, release time frame. Um, but we're going to take that same tool chain and I'm going to let you say, I want to build a class library. So imagine you built a great JPEG uh, decompressor or, or a great JPEG compressor or right. whatnot. You'll be able to natively compile that um, library, that class library, into binaries that run on Linux, mm. Mac, and Windows. Oh, man. Will be. Yes. Still some stuff to do. Well, wow. we, have to, we have to ship .NET Core 1 and ASP.NET Core 1 yeah. uh, first. But once we do that, that's another area that we want to we want to look at. And that's a great leeway in something you and I talked about last night. I was telling you about, you know, what's the next benchmark? Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> that, that we could do. Because um, you're always going to be looking for the next thing. You know, the tech and power thing was great and, and it got some great press. Um, but I think the next benchmark is I want to make .NET the best platform for building applications that run in containerized environments. Yeah. Um, so that means getting it the, the footprint down very small. Yeah. So we were talking, uh, there's, a, there's a variant of Linux called Alpine. Right. And uh, what Alpine is, it's a 10 meg image of Linux that a lot of folks will build Docker 
containers on top of. Yeah. Um, and so we've been measuring in the lab again, um, what's the minimum footprint we have to have to get .NET running in that environment? Yeah. And you might ask, well, what does that mean? Uh, well, .NET does encryption, so it needs things like OpenSSL right. on, uh, to, to do that. And so there's actually a lot of library components that mm. might have to be required on the, on the actual image mm-hmm. to get this going. Um, and so one of the goals with the native work will be we want to find how to make the image running ASP.NET or running a server app or running anything uh, in, in a container as small as possible. The smaller we make it, the faster it'll come up, the mm-hmm. faster you can scale it, mm-hmm. and, and all those kinds of things. What's Rasinovich doing these days? <laughs> Lots of container stuff. <laughs> <laughs> He's uh, Mr. Small and Fast. You um, know? We want to make our stuff awesome in, in Service Fabric, you know, some yeah. of the stuff he's doing. Right. Uh, Azure Container Services. Just, I mean, just with GA, yeah. 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 Um, you know, it seems that the compiling and the native stuff we were back in the early days of .NET. We talked to a guy from RemoteSoft. Do you remember about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. And he had these. He had a way to do that just with linking that made a standalone, made a standalone executable. Executable, but it was huge. So maybe he wasn't sort of stubbing at the right level or something. Putting the entire framework in the EXE. Yeah. So. Know? When we ran the uh, demos at Connect, I actually freaked out when I first saw the size. We, so we just we just ran a Hello World. Yeah, and our Hello World was about two megs. Wow, which which seemed big to well, me. If you think about it, Silverlight was about two megs, wasn't it? So you can chop it all down and get it to a manageable size. Well, I, and you've I, already done it. I thought two megs was was big, um, but then we went and built the same app with Go, and Go was a meg bigger. Wow. So I'm wow. like, okay. I don't feel bad about this anymore because I was, we're about to show this on stage and Hanselman's going to go up and I'm like, I don't, I don't want to show the size. Yeah. Don't do a dir. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, why are you freaking out? I'm like, I, we, two megs feels big. And he goes, he goes, no, 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 no. He, yeah, he, yeah. And we went and ran a go in real quick. He goes, see, it goes bigger. I'm like, good. Fine. Good. Fine. <laughs> hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, must be that happy time again. Yeah. It's time for me to put in my new .NET contact lenses so I can see. Sharp. No. Boo. No. No. (laughs) You know you want to laugh. Come on. Don't hold it in. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now now I'm being laughed at. You're not laughing with me. (laughs) Oh, no. We're definitely laughing at you. I know. C-sharp. It's my job. It's an oldie, but a good. So, I'm going to interrupt for just a moment. Yeah. So the other C sharp gag he does is we've got a slide where we're talking about languages, and so he pulls up the Java logo and he pulls up the JavaScript logo, <laughs> and then he's got a guitar chord, and I'm like, "What's that?" C sharp. Oh, save me, <laughs> no, that. dude! You're giving away our keynote. You can't. We we try to make money over that. It's one thing. slide. <laughs> anyway, it's time to give away actually a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Building a mobile application for iOS, Android, or Windows Phone doesn't have to leave you yearning for the zombie apocalypse. Because those were the days. (laughs) Life is worth living, we promise! There's definitely a better way, and it's the Telerik platform. It not only helps you build awesome cross-plat mobile apps fast, it's also a complete solution that supports the entire spectrum of your development needs. From design, build and test, to deploy, manage and measure, you're covered. Try it for free at Telerik.com slash platform. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? And today's winner is Dave Rowley. Congratulations, Dave. Golf club for you, sir. Golf club from the great state of Florida. And uh, Dave just won the Telerik DevCraft collection, a big pile of awesome from our friends at Telerik. And if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And more than that, every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And we also like to ask our guests, Scott, if you had five grand to spend on technology today, what would you buy? God, you always ask me this question. It's tough. <laughs> every show, man. And every show you're like, oh, yeah, they're going to ask me that question. <laughs> I, I would buy a 3D printer. Oh, all right. Ooh, for five grand, you can get a heck of a 3D printer. Um, I, one thing, I, I don't have one yet. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, 
In fact, I need to find Hanselman. He's supposed to print me something. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> speaking of that. The problem is he has cheap 3D printers. He, he right? does. Yeah. And actually, because yeah. he found this really cool thing. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but it's a, uh, some, some guy figured out how to make a, a Tesla supercharger that charges iPhones. What? <laughs> um, so it looks like a, the supercharger you park your Tesla at. Right. And uh, Hanselman's going to print one of those for me. Wow. Um, and he was struggling with color and his colors yeah. were bleeding together and stuff like when that. When you say he's going to print one, it's really the box, right? Or is it the whole thing? What do you mean? I mean, the electronics. What is no, he no, printing? No, no, no. So what you, all, all it really is is a Tesla supercharger, but instead of just, having the cable that plugs into your, your uh, car, it's got a lightning connector that plugs into a phone. So all, all they do is take a lightning cable um, and route it through it. Um, Google it. Take a look at it. All it's right. Pretty, yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, interesting. Uh, so don't get a cheap 3D printer. Get a good one. And I would strongly recommend, if you're going to spend five grand, like in that price range, it's the, the Form Labs printers, the Form 2. Instead of using the plastic drip approach, which is very much the inkjet approach of, of, print, uh, of 3D printing. Is that what causes the ones you almost had to sand when you're done with Absolutely, them? Absolutely, because yeah. it, the, mm. the, each drop melts a little differently. They, they tend to bend and so forth. So the Form Labs printers are the resin printers. So literally you have a liquid resin and it's hardening it with a laser. So the resolution is super high, much higher than you can drip drops of plastic. And... Uh, you can, and you sort of, the thing just sort of comes out of the, uh, the resin in the process. Wow. The, the downside of this is a more expensive, like, you can get these pl- plastic trim printers on $500, right? Yeah. Like, very inexpensive. And you can buy more expensive ones with better heat tables and better precision and so forth. Yeah. That you, you just can't, you know, as soon as you get the laser, just like a laser printer, like, there's a certain overhead to the quality of the equipment. The other issue is the resins themselves, right? But, they, um, they're you know one hundred fifty dollars a. How for strong a, for is the end result? Too do the Depen- resins seem like they would crack? Well, well, are they yeah. like epoxy resin kind of thing. There's there's a bunch of different resins. So there's less expensive resins for prototypes and harder, more expensive resins hmm. for for uh, more final. Interesting. Stuff. I saw a really cool video I think on YouTube, and and um, I'm a Formula One race car fan. Oh yeah, um, and those teams actually print the prototypes of the cars for wind tunnel testing. Yeah, huh? and and, I, and they almost look like this. You see a, like a wet tank and you see the car growing out of it. It almost yeah. looks like it's, that's, it re- is, that's resin printing. And it is crazy. Full size? Uh, they don't do them full size, but they do them like quarter size. Okay. Um, but the whole thing is, you know, just like desktop publishing where once you've made the document, you print it on your inkjet printer, you're happy with it. You can send it to a professional press mm. and it's the same document, just printed on better material. 3D printing is the same way. Mm-hmm. You prototype on your inexpensive equipment. When you're ready for the real thing, you can call up a, a Thing Labs or any of these sorts of places and say, I'd like that in titanium, please. Yeah. And it's the same document, right? Yeah. You've, you've knocked out all the bugs, and now you can get it made the way you want to make it with a, a million-dollar laser center machine. Well, think back in the day, the you know, like in the Formula 1 racing I was telling you about, they would actually just go probably take a piece of wood or a piece mm. of resin yeah. and hand- Carve it out. Hand carve it. Mm. And now they can just go to a computer and, and take the model from the car, print mm. these things, go stick them in, in a wind tunnel and, and go. But it's amazing. You can do the same resin printing you're talking about yeah. at home now. Wow. You could do it at home. How much is one of those? They're about $3,500. Spend five grand to get some extra parts and then things. You extra resin. And and resin literally, and stuff. you know, if you've got the five grand to spend. Cool. And, and what did you say the company name was? Form Labs. Form Labs. Yes. Awesome. Um, you know, uh, one of the shows we recently published, we were talking about IoT. Remember John Bruner? Sure. So he does a podcast uh, called The Solid Podcast. It talks about uh, IoT and so forth. Right. His co-host, who we didn't have on the show, he wasn't available at the time, is the CEO of Farm Labs. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, they're all tied together. All right, great. Right? So huh, Cool. All right, we got to talk about .NET Standard. What the heck is that? And why do we need another one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we... Comically enough, you know, you, we, you started off talking about Xamarin earlier. Yeah. Um, and so, if you're a .NET customer today, we have lots of .NETs. We do. Yes. More, more .NETs than I wish we had. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, right now, I'd say the three that we really have is we have .NET Framework. This mm-hmm. is the thing that everybody's had since 2002. Currently at 4.6.2. 4.6.2, I think, yeah. as of the build conference yeah. is where that's at. Um, and then Mono, uh, which the Xamarin guys have been using for mm-hmm. their product for many, many years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, when it was first done, it was, it was built without looking at any of the source code for, for .NET. Yeah. Uh, it was clean room kind of design. Yeah, literally, yeah. Um, so imagine that you've got the BCL that's in the .NET framework. You've got this BCL, the Mono guys built. Base class library. Which is, yeah, base class libraries, which is 
you know, clean room design initially, as we started opening open sourcing part of .NET, they went and copied a bunch of code. So, so now it's, it's, I think I've heard from Miguel, I think it was like 40% of it is now yeah. official .NET code. And there's .NET Core, which right. we're building UWP and, and ASP.NET cross-platform stuff on. Right. Um, so I got three of these things. Um, and each of them's got slightly different BCLs. Right. And if you want to write code that you can share across all these things, that's a hard problem. Right. Yes, it is. Um, we created this thing called uh, PCL, which is Portable Class Libraries, years ago yep. when this problem first came out. But but Portable Class Libraries has a couple of, of constraints. One of those is you need to know when you when you build a Portable Class Library, you go into Visual Studio and you create a class library and a dialog pops up and you check the frameworks that you want it to actually support. And what you're doing, the more you check off, the less functionality you'll end up with. Exactly. The, the, well, and, and worse, it means upfront. You, you have, have to, to know yeah. what platform you're going to run on, which means if another platform comes up, yeah, yeah. You, Start you're, over. you're 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 going to have to go and rebuild uh, your PCL again, sure, because it it just doesn't work. Yeah, um, yeah. And as Carl said, the other problem is each the more you check, I like to think it's like an intersection of all the frameworks, totally, and you get the smallest overlap of all the frameworks <laughs> intersecting. <laughs> That's right, is what you're left with. Yeah, uh, which means you can't do a lot of lot of stuff there. Yeah, and so we have this idea that with now that we have these three frameworks, what if we um, made one BCL that worked across all three frameworks? Um, and I want to be clear to people, uh, this, this idea of a standard library doesn't mean we're going to write string one time in this thing and, and uh, run it across all the platforms. And run it across all platforms. The reality is we have a lot of .NET that already exists yes. in .NET Framework. We have a lot of .NET that exists in .NET Core. And we have a lot of it in Mono. Right. So w what this really means in, in, the, in, in this standard library is you'll be able to reference it and it will know how to point to the right reference implementations inside oh. of the existing frameworks. But if we add new surface area, like like this JPEG decoder I was saying before, yeah. it would actually live outside of any any of those other frameworks, and it would be it would ship as a package as part of the the standard library. So the standard library really is a dot uh, a NuGet meta package that describes yeah. all of the surface area uh, that the standard has. Wow. So would you say then that you do not you won't have to rewrite any code that you have for any one of those things? That, you would just have to write... That is the hope. So what you'll do is you'll when you write code, you'll have a choice of targeting a .NET standard. Um, when we ship the .NET core bits, it'll be either 1.5 or 1.6 will be, will be the state of the .NET standard at that, at that particular time, mm -hmm. which means it will not be as wide as I just described. It'll actually be the surface area of .NET core because we're just trying to ship the product. Right. But our hope is by end of the year that we take that surface area and we expand it out to include the things that .NET Core doesn't have today. There's lots of stuff in the .NET framework, yeah. BCL-ish area that, that .NET Core doesn't have. There's lots of stuff in the Mono area. But what I really want to be want to be able to let a customer do is if you wrote some code um, for your Xamarin application for iOS or Android or Mac, um, and it's not talking to the actual hardware, um, you could take that same code, run it in your ASP.NET Core application, run it in your UWP application, mm. or put it in your WinForm uh, project uh, in full framework. Right, mm. and it should just run. And it should just run. And so um, I want to have a nice big surface area. And we this this name even came up because we were looking at, hey, there's a C++ standard library. There's a C mm -hmm. standard mm -hmm. library. Why is there not a .NET standard library? Right. Mm. Um, and we've overloaded a lot of these terms like BCL because we have three of those things. Yeah, they're not standard. And the reason why is... The Xamarin thing was came after the the .NET Core, didn't it? I mean, you, it, it did. Yeah, and we, so we, we didn't know we Core, were going to buy them. Yeah, or you didn't that know was it. not you know right far enough along the process. We knew what was going to happen there. So yeah, um, and even .NET Core is interesting. If you if you really think about what .NET Core is, .NET Core is actually a lot of its code base comes from Silverlight. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, of course it does because it was the. Because it ran on the Mac. It was the portable-ish, most portable-ish thing that yeah. we had at the time. <laughs> we, we never talked about that at the time during the Silverlight years, but it's like, you know, there's a chunk of the CLR that runs on the Mac. Yeah. Uh, right. How else would Silverlight work? Right. 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 But that was back when it was supposed to be a Windows-centric world, and nobody really wanted to talk about that. But you guys did all the hard work of porting this stuff, you know, the the basic stuff that needed to be in every app. And, and Silverlight, you know, back to what Richard was saying, there's not, a, there was not enough in Silverlight to, to run the, even like an ASP.NET application right. at the end of the day. Yeah. So we, we had to go bring a lot more of the, the .NET framework cross, cross platform as part of this exercise. And you guys did some work with Mono, right? On the core? Like, was there any overlap in borrowing of code? Um, we, 
talked to Miguel uh, when we first started doing this, and um, because we started with a server focus, mm. um, he told us to stay away from that that part of Mono. Oh, okay. Um, that said, and that's for for good reason, right? Yeah. That he, he you know, as I was, it we wasn't talking about all the performance earlier. That he said the the performance of some of the server parts of of, of Mono are, are not great, and that's what resulted in that bad test number. That bad test number, and of course, it makes sense. I mean, they were using Mono to build Zam- to build the Xamarin stuff, which yeah. is right. all client focused. Yep. Yes. Yep. Um, and I'll also be very honest. At the time that we started doing the .NET Core work, we actually couldn't look at Mono, huh? Because of um, the license. Mono had a license that was not good for yeah. us to go look at and take code from. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so Mono was not an option to us. They, yeah, I think I had a kind of a, a flavor of a GPL license. It was. Yeah, and, and it's that's a big deal. Like as soon as you touch that, it, it falls all throughout your entire project. Yeah, it has a big yeah. impact. It's one of the reasons a lot of, I mean, the pro, GPL is not a loaded term because there's lots of flavors of GPL as well. I mean, we've had this conversation on the show before, but you actually go down and read those depending on the license that was there. You new public license. Yeah. 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 You know, there's several different versions of it. Yeah. And it requires you to give all your innovations back to it. Depending right. on the yeah. license version. That, yeah. That, that is the challenge of it is, is yeah. and that's why our legal just freaks out about it because yep. basically it right. means you have to give all the code for everything you wrote and that just keeps uh, I think they're actually worried it actually would go all the way down to the operating system level as well. So if so, if there's parts of .NET that are actually calling into the Windows uh, kernel or Windows system, it systems, might be an exposure. So it back, might you might have to go expose all the way to that level. Yeah. So back in the early 2000s, we had um, Joe Stagner who was working at Microsoft at the time, and you know this was back when you know you guys were worried about Linux and Mono and stuff, and that that was a big that was a big uh, thing to worry about at Microsoft. And and Joe said. I'll never forget this. He said, Microsoft isn't anti-open source. We're anti-GPL. That's And that was just like an eye-opener to me, right? You know, because, uh, and that may have been why. But now, the, so getting back to the thing, Mono is now MIT licensed. Right. Right? But uh, we had there thre- is we overlap. Had, we had threads inside of the company as soon as it went MIT uh, about looking looking at some of that code, by the way, for the cross-platform aspect right. sure, of yeah, what we're absolutely. doing. Well, I got to think that the, the guys that are part of now that, that were part of Xamarin that are not part of Microsoft, like they have worked in Linux for a long time building dot that like things. Yeah. Yes. Those are useful people for you to know. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, you, you were asking earlier, are, are there parts of the Xamarin stuff or the mono stuff that we would actually want? Right. I think it goes w- both ways. They want some of the stuff that we've already done. Yeah. And we definitely want stuff they've done as well. So, so for example, right now for core, we're saying that we run on Mac, we run on windows and we run on Linux. Right. Yeah. Server well, side. Well, those guys run on iOS. They run on Android. Right. Um, and I believe they run on Nintendo Wii. Yeah. Um, and PlayStation 3 and 4. Yeah. Google um, Glass. They run on a bunch of other places that we don't currently have tech to run on. Right. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised to see us use some of that cross-pollination. So where does that convergence end up? Does that end up in .NET Core? Uh, or standard. I, I, or I would what? say at this point, I don't. We don't. I don't think we know what convergence is at at this point. Um, the main thing we want to do right now is let's go get the libraries in a state where no matter which one of these things you're on, mm. we know what that looks like. Yeah. Um, when it comes to whether you know what we do with Mono, or I think right now the best the best approach is you know we acquired Xamarin. We don't want to mess up Xamarin. Yeah. Nope. And so we're not going to get in there and mess with anything. But I think over time, uh, you know, the .NET team in, in Redmond and Xamarin in Boston and San Francisco will figure out where convergence might make sense. What it and, looks and, like. And, and the time frame that it makes sense. Sure. So um, I, but there's I, no huge rush to do that right now. So I just want to preface this next question with, I understand this, but I still get this question every, from everybody. And that is, uh, is Windows Universal now going to include the Xamarin stuff? And we asked Miguel... And not this. And the answer was great. And the answer is no. Right. right? And and it's still no. So just tell us why. Um I'll tell you the, the thing that the reason that those those guys probably told you no, and and or I think what we what we expect to come out of this is interesting enough, you might have seen um at Build, it was very interesting to see the Windows team actually were the ones that kind of talked about Xamarin as well in yeah. their keynotes on the first yeah. day. Yeah. Um, which you might go on, why was why was that going on? Um the Windows team really understands the importance of .NET. Yeah. And they know that there's a huge bank of iOS and Android apps out there today yeah. uh, that are running on Xamarin. And, of course, this .NET standard thing I was just talking to you guys about is super important to the, to this, to the Windows team because they would love people to be able to take that code that they're running on their iOS and Android Xamarin apps and make it easy to move that code over to a UWP application. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, 
at this point, that's about as far as we've actually gotten there. But the, isn't the UI the big problem? And this is, so you look at something like Xamarin Forms. Yes. Which is a really good attempt to take a, the intersection of what can work on all platforms, which turns out to be kind of limiting, right? Yeah. And now if you add that to what we can do on Windows and Windows 10, you know, now there's an even smaller window of uh, uh, intersection. So I just don't, I just don't see that happening. I don't know at this point. Yeah. Oh, um, I, you know, we forget like those base class libraries. They were started in like 1998, 99. All yeah. of this thing was, was sometime in 98, 99. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they were built for Windows on Windows. Right. Like there's been some decisions that were made 17, 18 years ago about these very fundamental pieces of .NET that are Deeply tied to Windows. It's like unhooking com. that to run on other platforms? Well, the cha- I, would, I would challenge you guys. What, are there any good cross-platform UI stacks? You said yeah. good and cross-platform in the same sentence, man. Well, You're you asking know, for trouble. I think that, that's, the, that's the problem. As you said, any of the, the, the technologies we have in, Win- in, in .NET today are completely bolted to, to, Windows. to Windows. But they're all, they all tend to be in the gaming sphere where you, you know, you're, you're pushing pixels instead of telling the OS to draw a box. Yes. You uh, know? Most of the cross-platform stuff you'll see today exactly is around pushing pixels. But there's right. not much, you know, the, the weird thing is, and I think we've all witnessed this, and you just, if I'm on Windows, I want a button to look like a Windows button. Yeah. Right. If I'm on a Mac, I want it to look like a Mac button. If right. I'm on iOS, I want it to look like an iOS button. Yes. And anytime you try to build a framework that, cheats and goes across all the platforms you end up in the uncanny valley you end up in this weird ui that doesn't yeah. make sense yeah. it, ma- it makes everybody uncomfortable yeah. um, that looks like a windows button but not really doesn't really act it like doesn't one. act yeah. the same way yeah, the so font's I, not I, quite right the shape's not quite right inputs with the blinking carrots and yeah. stuff you know yeah anytime you're on any platform and something doesn't work the way you expect on that platform yeah. you're, yeah. you're you're unhappy you're unhappy yeah and so I think the reason that, that we're saying today, no, we're not going to do that is for that, or those types of reasons. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even, even, uh, Xamarin Forms, while it tries to, to let you write common UI across platforms, it's also very limiting because of that. Sure. Very limiting. And yeah. you immediately end up in the, in the custom renderer. Uh, yes. It, it means you're basically writing through a, a you know, you're, you're now trying to write code on chopsticks kind of thing. You're writing through this pipeline of the renderer code that's basically specific to the platform. And then the mm-hmm. next thing you try to do is break out of jail. Right. You're like, yeah. okay, I'm in jail. I want to get out of jail. As yeah. soon as you break out of jail, you're doing it for each platform By again. hand again. Yeah. We're back to native. But across. we really are only talking about UI. Yeah. So UI is really the, the thing that you have to do natively on all these platforms. Right. Yeah. No matter what. Everything from the UI back, however, C-sharp all the way. We can do C-sharp all the way everywhere else. It's C-sharp all the way down. <laughs> C-sharp everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, yeah. It's, it's, I don't know. You've Take it on a big challenge, man. It's a lot of code. It makes me wonder, you know, once .NET Core is running on Linux, does Mono need to exist? Well, I told you Mono needs to exist today because Mono runs in places that .NET Core doesn't run. Right. But on client um, side. And, and so... Uh, and the feature set is larger probably than what you're initially And the feature set is way larger than what we have in .NET Core today. Sure. So, so as and I said... Xamarin runs Mono, right? Xamarin yes, is Yes, Xamarin is running on Mono. Yeah, right? yeah. So, so and, and it runs a bigger... BCL yeah. and the BCL that lives in .NET Core today. Right. And that's why I said when it comes to any, anything, any time of looking at unification and stuff like that, yeah. we're not even at a point where you start even considering it's that. not even worth a conversation. Not yeah. even worth a conversation at yeah. this well, point. You know, I'm laughing. It suddenly hit me. It's like, you know, Scott Guthrie at Build said, it's been 10 days since we acquired <laughs> Xamarin. It's been two weeks since you announced you know, the integration of Xamarin and, and, and the free and so yeah. forth. Like, you guys have barely had time to have a conversation. Yeah, um, that's right. I- exactly. I mean, comically enough, uh, next week in the same area. Right. Is, we're here in Orlando. The, is the Evolve Conference. Right. Yeah, yeah. Xamarin uh, Evolve. the Xamarin guys. Yeah. Um, Are you staying? I am not staying. Um, <laughs> but I have a bunch of folks from the .NET team that will be there. Right. Um, awesome. And Miguel's going to come and see us, I hope, the next week or if not the week after. So, I mean, we're going to start, start that cross-pollination. But as you said, it's only been 10 days. Yeah. <laughs> You're just and, starting these conversations. And other than a couple phone calls and, and hanging out at Build together... Um, we haven't even gotten there yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I mean the reality when you're at events and things is you're you're customer facing. You don't really get it. You you guys need to be in boardrooms in Redmond or San Francisco or Boston, so th- on whiteboards hammering this stuff out. That's yeah. why I'm not going to go to Evolve is because I was I was talking to Miguel and I'm like, hey, if I'm at Mago- at, at Evolve, do you have time? And he goes. Uh, no, not till it's over. Right. And he and I had the same problem at Build. Sure. Yeah. He, he and I met at Build and, and we're talking and, and I'm like, 
I can't speak until we can't, I can't talk about any of these kind of conversations until I do my talks. Right. Right. Um, and then by the time I do my talks, I'm actually exhausted and don't even want to think (laughs) about these kind of, these kinds of problems. Yeah. You need to come about it with a fresh head. But as, as I said, I mean, the reality is, um, we'll look at it when it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right now we have an awesome Xamarin product. We have an awesome .NET Core product and a, an awesome .NET Framework product. Yeah. And, um, the, and there's a bunch of things, irrespective of the grand scheme of unification is this, the, the, the studio plugins could be better. The testing scenarios could be better. Mm-hmm. You guys have got to get the test cloud integrated into, in for all kinds of things. Like a Xamarin test cloud is awesome. Yeah. Like there's all kinds of things to be tested they have, with that. They have Xamarin University, which is a great yeah. way to learn how to use uh, the Xamarin products. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a whole bunch of things that we would love to go find ways to integrate. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to say one more thing about the .NET standard thing. Um, and kind of in closing of that, of that area is one of the reasons that I made a big deal of the .NET standard at build is I always have customers ask me these questions like, uh, when's the next not, not at framework going to ship? Right. When's the next X, Y, or Z going to ship? Mm. Um, part of the message we gave at build is there's this new .NET standard and, and we drew a box that showed the standard. And then underneath the standard was the compiler platform, the language, language platform, Mm -hmm. and some of the things like the jitters and garbage collectors and stuff like that. That's really where we see innovation in .NET happening moving forward. Yeah. And so what I, when I tell a customer is, I can give you new, new capabilities without shipping a .NET framework. Right. Um, and so you shouldn't start hmm. looking, if, if, if I slow down shipping .NET frameworks for any reason, I'm not saying we are, but if we did, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. That's not your gate. That's not the gate. The, we're going to change the gate from this thing that must ship in part as part of Windows to being uh, this .NET standard, which hmm. can evolve on itself on its own timeline as fast mm-hmm. as it wants to without having to wait for an OS on the, on the Windows side or waiting for a mono on the Xamarin side or waiting on a, uh, on a, on a .NET core. And so that's really, as a, as a company, we want to say that's where innovation in .NET right. is going to happen. And then, as you said, the tooling, uh, the tooling's always going to get better. Yeah. No matter if you're building web form still or Windows form still. Yeah. Um, we showed some awesome XAML, XAML tooling at uh, the build conference where we took the F12 tools that you have in a, in a web browser. Right. Um, and mimicked those inside of Visual Studio. So as you're running your, your WPF application live, uh, you can click a button and you select the element you want and you press a sync button in the, in the, in the debug UI. Right. And in Visual Studio, Visual Studio pops up and it shows you the entire XAML tree. It highlights the section you're on. You can press a button there and the source code comes up and you, as you live change the source code, the app is changing in real time. Wow. That's impressive. So there's no, the, the, just like you would with CSS. If you, if you change CSS in your browser, yep. your, your page, you page changes. Yeah. And so we're, we're making XAML more webbish as well. That's so great. <laughs> and that's my point is, you know, even if we didn't add a new feature to, to, to WPF, that feature makes it a lot better. Yeah. Oh, sure. It makes it, um, that's I mean, one of the battles we've had with WPF is, especially for folks who came from Visual Basic, mm. we, where we had, everything was done in the designer. I know it was text under the hood, but nobody ever wrote that text. Mm. We've never gotten there with XAML. You, you write XAML by hand and look at it, at, at its you renderings. You have to. You have you know, to. to get to a more advanced designer has always been a compelling option. Yeah. But I got to imagine when you finally get, you're not a standard yet. Right. You're going to get there. What you're really talking about then is as you add to the standard, all these platforms need to come along. Like that's going to be a challenge to move those things forward. Well, as I said, if, if the new code is in the standard and yeah. not in the actual platforms themselves. Right. Mm. Then I don't have to wait for a mono release, a .NET release. Right. That sort of ends. Now standard moves all of that forward. That's exact. That, that's the vision. Yeah. yeah. The vision is standard moves us forward. And that's where the, you I hope, hopefully a couple of years from now, we're going to be sitting here talking about, Hey man, .NET standard 2.1 just shipped or, or 2.5 right. just shipped. That's what you're going to be thinking about. Yes. And, and it, no matter what kind of .NET customer you are, you go, wow, that's, that's good news. I, that's right? what I hope people say. They don't, they don't go, Hey, I just got 4.7 or 4.8 or core 1.5 or whatever. Right. I hope people, the message is, Hey, what version of .NET standard are you using? Right. Mm. Are you aware this new one's got this, these awesome it's new classes? Got these other things in here and, and um, it's going to be available for all those platforms because of the build strategy. Right. That's, so, that's what I hope. So one more thing. Uh, when we talked to Miguel and Nat, uh, right during build there, they said that, and Miguel said this, you're going to look at .NET as a sort of a, what did you say? Like a VBA, you know, it's sort of something that can plug in to any existing app, no matter what that app is written in. Right. Because it supports the core OS, the language doesn't matter. You can just sort of bolt that in to do things that .NET does when you don't have that capability. And that sort of 
you know, blew my mind at the time, and I had some time to think about it. Is is that where you see the role of .NET going, just being so portable and so ubiquitous that we could just plug this into existing I, apps? I would love to see it be that way. In, in fact, we're seeing some of that in Microsoft already. So, obviously, because we're Microsoft, we've been doing .NET for a long time. Right. But you you guys have all seen the crazy announcement, the SQL oh, yeah. Server team having a version of SQL Server yeah. that runs cross-platform. Yeah. Yep. Um, as these other teams decide to make some of their stuff cross-platform, they would love to be able to take the .NET assets they have yeah. and do exactly what you just described. Hey, yeah. I can still take my .NET code and plug it into Mac or, right. or Linux or wherever. Um, it, yeah, it's not about rewriting something or writing it all with C-sharp, but, you know, where it makes sense, just plug it in. Exactly. Some, sometimes native is best and you can write some native code and sometimes, yeah. you know, not worrying about memory and, and having all the nice, awesome C-sharp features and stuff. Yeah. available to you is, is what you care about and productivity i mean at the end of the day, in, end of the day we've always been a productivity company sure yes, the whole reason have. that .NET exists and vs exists is to say we're going to make it faster for you to write something yeah um and make it still be pretty good at the same time pretty good well i think freaking awesome i think too yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks scott it's been great scott hunter thank you very much for spending this time with us thanks for having me on the show guys you bet and we'll see you next time on .NET rocks .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a